the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were given to the average American, the rich would have their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a really great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once it's in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So let's supercharge your wealth building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning and welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies to help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans, plans to help guide our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Center. And Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Good morning. It's the middle of October now, and we've experienced some great weather. So far, we've been able to get a lot of outside jobs done. And at the same time, we added more jobs to the list. So I don't think we're ever going to get done. And we're work, working outside or just relaxing. I'm really impressed with the fall foliage. These big trees are putting on a show with their yellows and reds and oranges. It's really impressive. And the number of leaves that will come down will be impressive when they do come down like an avalanche. Then I can forget about my to-do list because waking up the leaves will be a full-time job. Right now, the leaves are kind of filtering down, and raking leaves is kind of just like exercise. But sometimes soon, a heavy rain will bring them, bring them all down like a big avalanche. Then cleaning up the leaves will be a full-time job. But until then, uh, we can enjoy the weather. We can enjoy uh, getting the uh, bike rides and the walks and everything in. And also, we got to get the homestead ready for the winter. And uh, in between our jobs, we can check on the economy and the Federal Reserve and our investment. This week, equity markets were mostly down and volatile. In the U.S., two of the major stock indices were down. And what was up for the week? While in the U.K., the FTSE 100 was down for the week. While in the European Union, both Germany's DAX and the stock Europe 600 we're both up for the week. Asia was also mixed. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei 225 was down, while in China, the Shanghai Composite was up, while Hong Kong Hang Seng was down for the week. On Friday, the three major U.S. stock indices closed at the Dow. Jones Industrial closed at 29,634.83. And it was up 1.15 for the week. The Standard and Poor closed at 3,583.07. It was down 1.55% for the week. 
and the NASDAQ closed at 10,321.39. It was down 3.11% for the week. And looking at our investments this week, the key characteristics is volatility. This week, I think uh, equity volatility set a record on Thursday. On Thursday, the Standard & Poor's 500 uh, finished the day up uh, 2.6% after falling as much as 2.4% earlier in the session and marking an uncommonly large interday turnaround. Big moves in the U.S. stock exchange have become a fixture in this year's market. Uh, the standard of four or five hundred has moved two and a half percent or more in either direction uh, during at least one out of every ten trading days this year. But Thursday's roughly five uh, percent interday swing was one that caught many investors by surprise and and basically served as a reminder how quickly uh, traders can be caught offside. When volatility strikes this week, you know, this year. So, you know, basically, <laughs> you stand back and watch this. There's just too much short, short-term thinking going on right now. Um, basically, stocks are down because investors fear that the Federal Reserve, uh, the Federal Reserve's interest rate crusade, will plunge the economy into a recession. And if you take a look at what do we know. Right now, the most prevalent guess as to what the Federal Reserve is doing is that uh, they're going to raise the rates, the federal funds rate, to somewhere around four and a half percent to four and three quarters percent by the end of the year. Right now, the, the federal funds rate is three and a quarter, and another in November, uh, the, the prediction, and these are just consensus predictions. It'll be, they'll add another three quarters to it. And then in the December meeting, uh, they might go for a one half uh, uh, percent increase or a three quarter percent increase in the federal funds rate. So that basically will get you to, uh, I'm just giving you the top numbers for the, for the, uh, the, uh, the Federal Reserve rates, uh, you know, the four and a half to four and three quarters. And then the, the, the question there is, will they stop when they get to that? Or they, they might stop and say, okay, uh, let's just regroup and see what how the uh, economy is responding. Or they might have another idea in mind and they might take it up another three quarters of a percent and then stop. The idea being that there's a long delay. Uh, uh, between what the Federal Reserve does and how the uh, the market reacts to it, not the market per se, as much as the economy, how much the economy reacts to what the Federal Reserve is doing. So, you know, the Federal Reserve says that they're um, oh, they're they're driven by the data. Uh, some people say, you know, they're driven by the data. You don't have a plan here. You're flying by the seat of your pants, but I, I, I trust the Federal Reserve uh, knows basically what it's doing. Uh, so far, I think they've been jawboning us into they are going to be very, very serious. And later in the show, we'll go over their minutes in the last meeting. So they are going to raise the rate. Uh, they're going to get them up to four and a half, maybe four and three quarters by the end of the year. Uh, they might decide to add another rate early in uh, uh, next year. Uh, they might just decide to just uh, halt a while and let the economy catch up. Uh, there's a lot of there are a lot of discussions and a lot of uh, arguments in both directions. Some argue that um, you know that. Uh, uh, they should continue. Uh, up. There's very few that are, that are uh, arguing that they should continue forcibly raising it up. There are people that talk about raising it up to five, the federal funds rate up to five percent, five and a half percent. A lot of people, uh, a lot of economists, are saying that uh, uh, 
is there such a delay in uh, uh, how the economy reacts to what the Federal Reserve is doing uh, that they might overdo it and then cause damage to the uh, growth prospects in the future? And then suddenly you've got inflation coming down, but you've also got the economy coming down, too. So right now, you take a look at the economy. The economy is slowing down. Uh, you know, you can see it in home construction and home sales. You can see it in uh, capital improvement projects from the big companies. Uh, they all, everybody figures, well, uh, people are talking about a recession, so we better be careful. So all the projects are being pushed to the pushed uh, uh, back. So uh, to me, what you're going to see is uh, uh, at the end of the year, we'll see what the how the Federal Reserve is going to react to just settling down and waiting and seeing what happens. So, but right now, the stocks are down. Uh, the bonds are also down. Uh, the bonds are down because the interest rates have gone up. If you had... Uh, if you had a bond that you bought four years ago, let's say, and it had an interest rate of of three uh, percent, and the maturity of a few, let's say, five years or ten years out, why well, the interest rate, like for the treasuries, the uh, uh, the two-year treasury has gone from three quarters of one percent at the start of the year, I think, to four point two percent today. The ten-year went from one and a half percent up to four percent today. So, uh, a bond that you bought years years ago, you take a loss on it because you go to sell it, uh, and the uh, uh, the bond broker that you're selling it to, he'll say, "Well, uh, let's see for that uh, credit classification, be it a triple A or a double A or an A or something, and that maturity." Uh, a brand new bond that the company's issuing would go for, uh, uh, let's say you, you had your bond that gave you uh, 3%, a brand new bond with that maturity and that credit classification, it would be going for 6%. So you're going to get the sad story that, well, I'll buy your bond, but I can't give you, you whatever you paid for it. Let's say you paid $1,000 for it. Uh, I'll give you an amount that divided into this 3% will give me 6%, the going rate. So uh, your choice is always to say, oh, the, I don't, I'm don't. i not taking that deal. I'm going to wait until it matures in some years in the future and get my $1,000 back. So, But if you have to sell it uh, uh, tomorrow and... Uh, uh, the bonds are, are taking a hit too, as well as the stock. So the idea being that uh, the stocks are down. Uh, the the uh, concern is that the, uh, the Federal Reserve, with their interest rate crusade, can push uh, can push us into a recession. Uh, the, the in the long run, the stocks are down to the point right now where. Um, Part of my clients, the younger clients, are buying uh, stocks, and uh, the uh, elder clients are holding on or uh, moving to uh, a more protective position with anticipation that uh, when this inflation fight is over and the Federal Reserve uh, uh, gets done raising their rates, then the Federal Reserve will be our friend again. And the market will go up at that time. So, uh, to me, the markets are down, but I think there's just too much, too much volatility and too much uh, uh, short-term thinking in it. Uh, I think that uh, the potential right now is more to the upside than to the downside. But while we were talking about the volatility, this extreme volatility on Thursday. Uh, the, the volatility really occurred because of a Labor Department report. Uh, the, the Department of Labor reported that the so-called uh, core consumer price index, 
where uh, energy and food prices are excluded, that the core CPI rose 6.6% in September from a year earlier. Uh, that's the biggest increase in that number since August of 1982. Uh, the previous month, that core uh, CPI uh, measurement had increased 6.3% in August. So it definitely raises concern that uh, whether the core inflation is under control yet. So and investors are concerned that U.S. consumer inflation, excluding energy and, and food, accelerated to a new four-decade high in September, a sign that strong and broad price broad price pressures are persisting. Uh, you know, the inflation report uh, likely will keep the Federal Reserve on track. Just as I mentioned before, I think it's a given that uh, at the November meeting, there'll be a meeting, I think, the first week in November, they'll probably pop it up another three quarters of a percent. And uh, they it also raises the risk that officials will uh, delay an anticipated uh, 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 slowdown in the rates after that. But we'll see. I think after the first of the year, there'll be a decision with the Federal Reserve as to whether to cool it uh, and let it sit and see, let the economy catch up with all the the uh, rates that they've done so far. Uh, investors and policymakers uh, follow that core inflation as a reflection of a broad underlying inflation and as a predictor for future inflation on a monthly basis. The core CPI rose six-tenths of 1% in September and it, uh, had previously also increased six-tenths of a percent in uh, August. And uh, the previous month, it had only increased three-tenths of a percent. These are the month-by-month, month, not the uh, year-ago numbers. So uh, in addition to the core CPI, the overall consumer price index increased 8.2% in September from the same month a year ago. And uh, basically the core, the, I'm sorry, the uh, overall CPI uh, was uh, pulled down by a drop in gasoline prices that was partially offset by higher food costs. Uh, the reading was down from 8.3% uh, in August. And of course in June, inflation reached a high of 9.1%. So we're moving in the right direction uh, with regard to the uh, overall CPI number. Uh, it only went down from 8.3% to 8.2%. It was originally consensus expectations for were for it to go down to 8.1%, but that didn't happen. So uh, um, the housing costs Two of the big pushers in the uh, in the consumer price index or the CPI numbers for the housing costs uh, because they're a big driver and that rose by the most since early 1980 and because of that, the strong labor market continues to push up rental rates. Uh, the, uh, they expect that uh, the increase in the rent uh, will continue for a while. And uh, they're going to show up in the uh, uh, consumer price index because I think they're 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 about thirty percent. Shelter is about thirty percent, maybe even more, of the basket of goods that the consumers uh, purchase. In addition, another important contribution uh, to the inflation came from the services uh, prices, which tend to uh, these are basically labor costs, which uh, uh, once they start rising, they get uh, they rose at a one month rate of eight tenths of one percent in September, and that's the sharpest rate since uh, eighty two. And prices for motor vehicle repair was up one point nine percent in September. And we're going to talk about all the details of the inflation uh, data uh, later on in the in the uh, Report later on in the show, and 
We'll also talk about inflation. There was also inflation was mentioned in October's uh, University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey. Uh, we'll talk about that later. And, of course, they uh, recently released minutes of the Federal uh, Reserve's uh, Federal Open Market Committee meeting, the, the one that they held on September 20th and 21st. That just came out this week. And uh, uh, that was emphasizing the resolve of the Federal Reserve in raising the interest rates uh, to defeat inflation. And we'll discuss that. You take a look at the minutes, and you have to, you have to realize that uh, the Federal Reserve and the Federal Open Market Committee meeting uh, is talking a good game. In other words, they're, they're trying to what they call jawbone, uh, uh, you know, the inflation down in terms of making making everybody. Uh, positively confident as to what they're going to do, but uh, that's not to say that uh, uh, what they say they're going to do is exactly what's going to happen, because there's a lot of moving parts to the system, and uh, uh, they'll adapt to the the circumstances as they come along, so uh, they just want to get across in their minutes that they're they're totally on board and resolved to People on raising these rates until they get inflation down to two percent. So and there's other things regarding, regardless of inflation, uh, consumers are can continue to spend, and uh, certainly with these higher prices, they become more selective. Uh, the dollars don't go as far with inflation at eight percent, and the uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce they reported on Friday that. Uh, U.S. sales, uh, retail sales, continued at the same price and same pace in September as in August. As uh, they just people are buying different things, they're more guarded about discretionary purchases uh, uh, because they have to take inflation into account. Uh, the report shows that the value of overall retail purchases was was. Little changed in September uh, from a uh, from the gains in uh, August. The gains in August August uh, stepped up four tenths of a percent from July, and we stayed at the August numbers for September. So uh, uh, what we're seeing, uh, we'll get to those numbers later in the show too. Seven of the thirteen categories declined in terms of retail sales uh, last month. People are making decisions about how they're going to uh, spend that money and it, uh, as prices go up. And what you're going to see is a drop in receipts at order dealers, furniture outlets, sporting goods stores, electronic stores. So uh, the value of sales at gas stations fell one and a, 1.4%, but that's the Cheaper fuel prices at the time that the uh, you know, the survey was made, or the numbers were ground, and because uh, gasoline prices have been going up since that time. Uh, later in the show, we'll get into the details regarding the consumer spending for uh, September. But one of the things we have to do is, <clears throat> in all of this, worrying about the macro picture. Uh, the big picture, the global picture, and the national picture, and the economy and the stock market. Uh, I get the feeling I'm a I'm a mouse in an elephant's cage, you know, where <laughs> I watch this thing, but I have no control no control over it. So, to me, it, it, it's uh, uh, we have to take a look at what we're doing in our own financial plan, you know the call it the micro plan rather than the macro plan. And basically that boils down to uh, keeping track of our of our basic goals. You should have that plan and you should, I don't care whether it's in a, a uh, one sheet of paper or what it is, but you have to put your goals down. And once you put the goals down, be it uh, getting through school, starting a career, 
settling down and starting a family and buying a house, you know, starting a business, retirement, uh, all those things. You can put an approximate schedule there, put a, put a date there, and, and uh, it's the future, so you don't really know the exact date. Uh, but you can put an approximate date there in the year and a cost. And by cost, I mean how much money do I have to have at that time in the future? Obviously, the, the if you're buying a house, you've got to gather the uh, down payment and uh, you know uh, the schedule for doing that. If the kids are going to go to school, uh, be it uh, uh, whatever type of school they're going to go to, uh, there's probably costs involved in that, so you know your kids, uh, how old they are, so you know what the, the, the costs are going to be there, and you also know when you're going to retire. Maybe not to within the year, but uh, within the five-year period, and you have to say, I'm going to have a uh, an nest egg ready at that time to augment my uh, Social Security so I can have a secure retirement. So. How are we going to save those uh, nest eggs uh, to do to accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish? And it boils down to uh, the ability to save, uh, not spend every dollar that uh, comes through your hand. You have to allocate uh, savings plans for each one of the goals, making sure that you pay yourself first uh, before anybody else gets paid. You don't want to get trapped into that. Uh, process by which uh, you pay the bills and then you suddenly uh, have nothing left or uh, even have a negative number there left and they, there's nothing to be saved. Right? What you do is save at the start of the month when the, when the, or the start of the pay or when the paycheck comes in and uh, allocate that and then the rest of it, you accommodate your standard of living with what's left. So how much do you have to save for a, a car, a wedding, a home, a business, a retirement, uh, where are you going to put the money at? How are you going to invest it? How are you going to keep track of it? Uh, things like um, how old are you? Which, which generally, uh, you know, defines your risk, uh, the amount of risk you're willing to assume and the rewards that you're looking for. And, of course, you've got long-term, short-term, Retirement is generally a long-term goal. Um, um, getting the down payment for the house it might be a, considered to be a median type goal. Uh, and also, you have to protect yourself against the unknowns. You know, you might uh, a 25-year-old person uh, might have a million dollars, might have five million dollars worth of unrealized assets in sense in the terms of uh, their education and their experience and the and the uh, paycheck, the, uh, the money that they can earn uh, for the next 50 years, but they really don't have any tangible assets. And when you take your own the liabilities of, uh, of a house and a family and a standard of living, uh, you need that life insurance and you also need the liability and property insurance to protect you against uh, uh, lawsuits and things of this nature, particularly with regard to the car, sometimes with regard to the house. And then as you get older, then you're, then you're getting to become serious about uh, estate planning. And uh, even if you're not older, the, the thing that you, you have to realize is that uh, in estate planning, uh, all the money in the financial institutions, the banks, the insurance companies, the credit unions, the pensions at work, uh, all of the, all of those monies, they travel by way of the beneficiary forms. So you put down a beneficiary form, and uh, as long as that financial institution has that uh, beneficiary form, then you basically... Uh, uh, if something happens, uh, then the beneficiary can go to that company and show their identification and a death certificate. Uh, and uh, the institution will make changes to the registration of those accounts. Uh, the wills 
the wills are definitely, uh, you know, important with regard to the hard asset, the house and things that businesses and things of this nature. So in any case, I'm getting at the law there. They, you should always make sure that when you're dealing with wills and things of this nature, your state plan, did you do find a, a lawyer and uh, uh, you, you get yourself squared away in terms of a will and a power of attorney and a, a durable power of attorney and a health care power of attorney and things of this nature. So that's all part of the financial planning. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all put it together. It's a roadmap for the future. It gives you the, the control so that you can know where you're going. If you don't know, if you don't have a map, you can end up almost anywhere. So uh, do it, uh, stay on top of it, and uh, use it to make decisions with. Okay, this this is Jim McAleese. Uh, you're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call. Our toll-free number is 1-888-281-1110. That's 1-888-281-1110. Now stay tuned. I'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you who have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, however, Jim can't answer all your questions because of time restraints and the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstones Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, finding your next home, planning for retirement, finding the right mutual fund, or covering your assets with the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today. That number again, 440-647-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow with Jim Magalise. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Uh, we, we talked about uh, what's happening in the big picture and the little picture. <laughs> and one, one good thing, uh, uh, the uh, Social Security Administration uh, announced on Thursday that the uh, benefits for uh, Social Security benefits for next year uh, were going to increase 8.7%. So, uh, 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 you know, 70 million people are involved in, uh, in Social Security, so that'll be a big boom to a lot of people. It won't, uh, uh, 8.7% probably the only raise that is commensurate with the amount of inflation we're seeing. Uh, generally the raises are in the order of, uh, uh 5% or 6%. So, uh, Jim, you know, hi, it's uh, Colleen. Yes. I'm sorry, we no, we had a caller. Is We had a mm-hmm. caller, and her name is Barb. She didn't want to go on the air. She's a little shy. Um, she wants you to explain the do's and don'ts of tax-loss harvesting. Okay. Uh, you know, tax-loss harvesting, it basically is a method of saying, okay, uh, it's a process of writing off the losses in your investments in order to claim a tax reduction against the gain. So if you got a, uh, uh, you can also uh, have a deduction against the ordinary income, but it's a small, small deduction. The IRS, uh, in regard to ordinary income, the IRS allows you to claim a net loss of up to $3,000 each year and uh, uh, for single uh, uh, filers, and it's usually a good idea to take full advantage of that. There's, um, a, uh, if your losses are more than $3,000 maximum, the IRS allows you to push these losses off into future tax years. So 
if your investments perform well next year and you realize some capital gains at that time, you can use prior unused losses to offset uh, those future gains. So in today's world, uh, in the stock market, what you're seeing is a lot of losses. So uh, you can accumulate those losses for basically for years and years until you end up with a capital gain. And tax loss uh, harvesting is only about, only valuable in taxable accounts. They're not uh, useful in the IRA or the 401k accounts uh, because the capital gains aren't taxed annually in the case of those uh, accounts. The IRS has some restrictions uh, to prevent you from gaming the rules for tax loss harvesting. The most notable of these is the uh, wash sale rule uh, that says that they prevent you from uh, claiming a taxable loss and then immediately rebuying the security. And uh, that holds up for your spouse, too. You, you know, they consider the two of you uh, uh, a group or a couple. So, you know, you, you, one partner can't be selling and the other buying the same uh, stock. Uh, instead, if you want to report a loss uh, on your taxes, then you'll have to avoid repurchasing that uh, losing security for at least 31 days. Uh, I know it says 30 days, but it's really 31 in terms of you don't want to make any mistakes on that one. If you do buy the security back within the 31 days, you're going to forego the tax benefit. And uh, uh, the IRS insists that you offset uh, uh, when you're counting your capital gains or capital losses. Uh, you have to count the long-term capital losses uh, first offset the long-term capital gains and then the short-term capital losses against the short-term capital gains. And then finally, when you've done that, then you can uh, offset short-term gains with long-term losses. So uh, the idea that the long-term versus the short-term is that the long-term capital gains uh, you attach to the, at a lower rate. Uh, for instance, the long-term, which means you held on to it for more than a year of the day, uh, that says that it's going to be taxed at either 0, 15%, or 20%. Uh, I don't know. I don't recall the exact limits of, you know, uh, where you're taxed at 0, but most cases you'll be taxed at 15%. If you're, if you're super, if you're uh, making a uh, super income, uh, you you get into that twenty percent capital gains tax bracket. Uh, but fifteen percent is generally what we all get nailed with. And then you basically, if you've got capital gains and uh, 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 you get those by either selling a investment or in the case of like mutual funds, if the mutual funds rise enough, and we've all experienced those in the past, the mutual fund company will declare the capital gains for you. You didn't sell anything, they just declare them, and you get a new cost basis and a and a and notice that your unrealized capital gains are now realized capital gains. So. Uh, you know, short-term capital gains, they're, they're taxed at your uh, ordinary income tax rate. And uh, and uh, that applies to assets that you've held less than a year. So in the case of the brokerage accounts and mutual funds accounts and things of this nature, uh, the corporations will report your gains or losses to you and also to the IRS. And... Uh, the important thing is to keep track of them and stay on top of them and make sure that they don't make any mistakes uh, one way or the other. So, uh, yeah, it, it, the, the, bar, the uh, use of the capital gains, if you take a look at uh, selling a stock and it's uh, gone down, uh, then you're going to end up with a capital uh, loss. And the question is, uh, is it going to be 
a short term or long term depends upon whether you've held it the uh, the asset or stock for over a year for over a year it's long term capital gain the uh, tax rates uh, uh, well you won't be paying any taxes on on uh, losses but certainly in terms of gains in the future, well, you'll see that, uh, hey, the tax rate is generally about 15%. It could be zero, could be 20. But for the short term, it's uh, taxed as ordinary income. So if you've got any questions, Bob, just give us a call. We'll be glad to clarify it. And uh, this is this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, you can give us a call. You know, that toll-free number is one. 888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. And uh, basically, you know, what we're hearing about is we're talking about today seems to be mostly uh, inflation type things. So uh, all of us have been watching the prices go up and up and up. And the ones we notice first are the food and the gasoline, you know, because we buy those on a regular basis. And the Department of Labor keeps track of the rising, the rising prices with their Consumer Price Index, the CPI, and uh, that's reported every month. And on Thursday this week, they released the data for September, and it shows we had a lot more uh, to do to get inflation uh, basically uh, under control. Uh, what the numbers show is that the uh, uh, let's see, the all item, let's call it the all item uh, uh, consumer price index number. Uh, it increased four tenths of one percent in September for this for the month, and it increased 8.2 percent for the preceding for the uh, 12 months that include that ended in September. So the monthly increase in the all item, and that by all item, I mean uh, there's food and fuel and things of this nature in there. Uh, that increased four-tenths of a percent on a monthly basis and 8.2% on a 12-month basis. So comparing that to the uh, previous month, uh, which is the CPI for August, what we see in August is that the Monthly increase was one tenth of one percent. So the monthly increase went from one tenth of one percent in August to four tenths of one percent in September. But the uh, year over year or the 12 month number uh, came down from 8.3% in August to 8.2% in uh, September. Uh, the very fact that the monthly went up is, you know, that's an indication that there's more uh, inflation in this pipeline. The very fact that they uh, went down from 8.3% in uh, August to 8.2% in September, hey, uh, that's good news. We sure, we sure like it to go down farther, faster, but so be it. The one that surprised people was the core uh, consumer price index. And the core consumer price index is the one that uh, uh, we don't account for with uh, food or fuel. In other words, we, we take a look at all the things that you take, you visualize the consumer price index as a basket of goods that the, uh, usual, the usual consumer buys. And it goes in as food in there, and it classifies it as uh, food at home, food uh, uh, 
I bought in the restaurants and the old go right down through and talk about the increase in cereal prices and and meat prices and eggs and poultry and everything else and then it'll even go down into uh, other things and go down well uh, fuel or energy energy prices it'll talk about the increases in heating oil gasoline uh, natural gas all those things it talks about <clears throat> and basically uh, the all item consumer price index does include food and fuel and that's about 20%. I think it's actually 22% of the whole 100% of the CPI. The other 78% is what they call the core CPI, which is a home prices, uh, uh, medical uh, expenses, uh, apparel expenses, uh, new cars, used cars, things of this nature. So the, uh, the inflation over the past 12 months Oh, let's go. Let's let's stick with the core CPI. That's that was the big concern on Thursday. Uh, the core CPI, where we neglected food and fuel, uh, that increased six tenths of one percent in uh, September, and uh, that's a one month increase. And for the twelve months, the increase was six point six percent. Well. If we take a look at the numbers that were reported for August, uh, in August, the core CPI increased six-tenths of 1%. Okay, six-tenths of 1% increase in one month for September, and same thing in August. But the year-over-year core CPI in September increased 6.6% from 6.3% in August. So that was the flag that uh, uh, started the chatter on, we've got got more work to do with regard to inflation. So the numbers were going the wrong direction. In fact, if we look back and say, okay, uh, uh, those were comparing numbers from August and September, if we throw in the... uh, if you throw in July uh, CPI numbers, it'll show that in July, the core CPI over the one month period increased three tenths of a percent. And then in August, over one month period, it increased six tenths of a one percent. And then in September, it also increased six tenths of one percent. So they're going in the wrong direction. And uh, let's go to the 12 month. Uh, core CPI, and uh, in July it was 5.92, and then in August it was uh, 6.3%, and then in September it was 6.6%. So uh, basically what we're seeing is that uh, there's a concern about uh, uh, what's happening here in terms of the 78% of the basket. That doesn't include food and fuel. For instance, like uh, shelter. Uh, shelter in September went up seven tenths of one percent. Uh, medical care in uh, September uh, increased one percent. These are monthly increases. Uh, vehicle maintenance increased in September one point nine percent. Services in general. Uh, you know, labor, labor-intensive things that increased eight tenths of one percent. And if I just if I just go through each one of those shelter, medical care, vehicle, and service, uh, let me give you the numbers for July, August, and September. For instance, shelter increased five tenths of a percent in July, seven tenths of a percent in August. Seven tenths of a percent in September. Medical care increased four tenths of one percent in July. Eight tenths of one percent in August. One percent in September. There's a definite curve that's moving up, not down. Vehicle maintenance, July increased one point one percent. August one point seven percent. 
September 1.9%. Again, the wrong direction. Uh, services, uh, July 4 tenths of a percent increase. August 6 tenths of a percent. September 8 tenths of a percent. So we're, we're definitely <clears throat> more work, more, more work is required here. So, uh, if you take a look at the numbers, uh, I'm just looking at, uh, monthly changes in September. This is from the report that came out the other day. Uh, natural gas in September increased 2.9%. Motor vehicle maintenance and repair, 1.9%. And then if you get into food, uh, fruits and vegetables, 1.6%. Cereals, 9 cents of 1%. Food away from home, 9 cents of 1%. If you take a look at the... uh, Rents, which is part of shelter, had increased eight tenths of a percent. Airline fares increased eight tenths of one percent. Uh, all these numbers are going up, and uh, the the, the uh, some are going up, some are going down, but most of them are going up. And uh, the, we expect volatility in the energy, in the oil, and gasoline. We also expect volatility in the food, uh, but uh, the other things, the, the goods prices, uh, that's a big concern to the uh, uh, to the Federal Reserve, and that's one of the that they're continuing to clamp down as hard as they can on the uh, inflation. So, and there was also another indication of inflation in terms of uh, uh, the University of Michigan uh, consumer sentiment, the survey of consumer sentiment. It indicated that uh, the median expected year-ahead inflation rate rose to 5.1% with increases reporting across age, income, and education. Last month, the long-term Inflation expectations fell below the narrow 2.9 to 3.1 percent range for the first time since July of 2021. But but since then, expectations have returned to that 2.9 percent range. Uh, after three months of expecting minimal increases in gas prices in the year ahead, both short term and long and longer run. Expectations for inflation rebounded in, in October. So basically, the survey of consumer sentiment indicates that consumers are not too happy about uh, inflation. Uh, they, if you take a look at the numbers, you see that uh, the numbers are low and uh, uh, they're, they're basically kind of stagnant, uh, banging around the bottom here. So to me, <clears throat> you know, you read the minutes of the Federal Reserve meeting, the Federal Reserve meeting sounds like they're going gung-ho in these uh, uh, interest rate increases. Uh, but as I said before at the beginning of the show, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, after the first of the year, after they get these in the federal funds rates up, up close to four and a half five percent, and then we'll see they'll, they'll probably wait a while to see what happens. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Flow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back. This is a story about never giving up. It's also about a mother's teaching moment uh, with her daughter. I say it goes like this: A young woman went to her mother and told her about her life and how things were so hard. She didn't know how she was going to make it, and she wanted to give up. Well, she was tired of fighting and struggling. It seemed that as one problem was solved, a new one arose. Her mother took her to the kitchen and she explained to her and tried to talk to her and she 
As she did that, she filled three pots with water and placed each on a high fire. Soon the pots began to boil. In the first, she placed carrots. In the second, she placed eggs. And in the last one, she placed uh, round coffee beans. She let them sit and boil without saying a word. In about 20 minutes, she turned off the burners. She fished the carrots out and put them in a bowl. She pulled the eggs out and placed them in the bowl. Then she put some coffee in in a cup. And then she turned to her daughter and she asked, Tell me what you see. And the daughter replied, "Uh, Carrots, eggs, and coffee. Uh, Her mother brought her closer and asked her to feel the carrots. She did notice that they were soft. And the mother asked the daughter to take an egg and break it. And after pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, the mother asked the daughter to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled as she tasted its rich aroma. The daughter then asked, uh, What does it mean, Mom? Her mother explained that each of these objects had faced the same adversity, boiling water. Each reacted differently. The carrot went in strong, hard, and, and unrelenting. However, after being subjected to the boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg had been fragile. A thin outer shell had protected its liquid interior. But after sitting through the boiling water, its inside became hard. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. After they were in the boiling water, they had changed the water and said, Which one are you? She asked her daughter. When adversity knocks in your doors, how do you respond? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Which one am I? Am I the carrot that seems strong, but with pain and adversity, do I wilt and become soft and lose my strength? Am I the egg that started with a malleable heart that changes with the heat? Did I have a fluid spirit, but after a death or a, a breakup or a financial hardship or some other trial, have I become hardened and stiff? Does my shell look the same, but on the inside, Am I bitter and tough with a stiff spirit and a hardened heart? Or am I like the coffee bean? The bean actually changes the hot water, the very circumstances that bring about the pain. When the water gets hot, it releases the fragrance and and favor. And if you like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and change the situation around you. When the hour is the darkest and the clouds are your greatest, you elevate yourself to another level. How do you handle adversity? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee? So, think about that. Think about how you approach life. And next time we meet, forget that slow. May God protect you and keep you safe. You've been listening to Get Rich Slow with Jim McAleese of Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., Located at 47149 Bursley Road, Wellington, Ohio, 44090, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc. The materials Jim shares is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of James McAleese and Cornerstones Consultants, Inc., and not those of Next Financial Group, Inc. Next Financial Group does not provide tax advice. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price-weighted index of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks. To make an appointment with Jim regarding your own finances, call 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.